Hi, everybody. I'm Sabri Beneshore from Marketplace. And I'm Tim Fernholtz from Quartz. And this is Actuality. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's, let's stop that sound now. This week, we want to sell you hundreds of thousands of mosquitoes. No? <laughs> but what if I told you they might save Florida from a horrific viral epidemic? I don't live in Florida, so... But the uh, best part, Sabri, is that it is free. It's a free trial. Free mosquitoes. And if you like the results, you can pay $250,000 a year to keep getting them. Uh-huh. First hit's free. What's the catch? They're genetically engineered Frankenskeeters created in laboratories to commit a holocaust against their own kind. And the government has yet to approve them for use in the United States. Well, let's back up and explain what the hell we're talking about. What we are talking about today is deploying genetically modified mosquitoes to prevent and control a disease outbreak in Florida. We came upon this story thanks to Quartz's own Gwen Guilford, who went down to Key West in Florida to figure out what was going on. And she's going to hang out with us for the episode and guide us through it. Hey, Gwen. Hi, Tim. Hi, Sabri. Hi. Uh, so, Gwen, first, let us start with the problem. The problem is it's called dengue fever. Uh, It's a nasty virus that makes people excruciatingly ill, and it it can be lethal sometimes. Uh, It's spread by a specific type of mosquito. It lives in Key West, as you probably guessed. And in 2009 and 2010, there was an outbreak of dengue in Key West. And the big risk now is that dengue will come back in its more lethal form. And that is why local mosquito authorities want to unleash genetically modified mosquitoes to decimate the population of mosquitoes that carry dengue. How bad is dengue? It's pretty bad. Uh, It's super painful and it can kill you by uh, shutting down all your organs. But uh, it's really it's really unpleasant. It's also really expensive in poorer parts of the world. So obviously, Key West is not a poor country. uh, But its big problem with dengue is that it's incredibly reliant on tourism for its economy. You know, obviously, there's also the problem of people dying. You don't want that. But it word gets out that there's another epidemic. It could really crush the economy there. And this was not in the Keys before? It was not in the Keys before, to anyone's knowledge. How did Um, it get there? The best guess is that a tourist from somewhere where dengue is endemic came to the Keys, was bitten by a local Keys mosquito, and then that mosquito turned around and bit a bunch of other people, and then it spread. And so, as you reported, there are local officials in Key West who want to use genetically modified mosquitoes to prevent this. How does that work? So it's a, it's a company called Oxitec that has engineered these mosquitoes that basically will pass on a lethal gene to their offspring so their offspring can't grow out of the infant stage. So they all pretty much all die. So the idea is that you release a bunch of these male genetically modified mosquitoes and they'll mate with Key West's wild female population And after they mate, they lay eggs, and uh, most of those uh, mosquitoes will die as a result. And if you keep releasing the genetically modified male mosquitoes over time, they'll overwhelm the local population, and you'll have this big reduction in the number of those mosquitoes that carry dengue. Mm. Uh, And voila, no more dengue fever, hypothetically. Hypothetically. So this sounds pretty 
sci-fi, and predictably, people are worried about what might go wrong. Others have launched an online petition. More than 100,000 have signed so far. We need a far. longer time to find out what the long-term we effect... We are humans, and we don't like being treated like guinea pigs. But this isn't technically a new strategy, which I found a little bit surprising. We have with us Dan Strickman, who works on disease control at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Hi, Dan. Hi. Dan, the U.S. has done male sterilization campaigns before, right? Yeah, a, a, a better way to express it is is sterile male technique, not male sterilization, <laughs> which makes it sound like something else. It's a technique that was first conceived in the 1930s and first implemented in the 1950s against a particularly horrible pest, the screwworm fly. It lays its eggs in small wounds, especially in cattle, and then the maggots eat living flesh in the cow and can often kill it. So there was a big commercial need to lessen the, the damage from this particular kind of fly. So a uh, genius in entomology, E.B. Nippling, conceived the idea that if you could release enough males that were sterile, they would mate with the wild females, and then the next generation they'd be infertile, and eventually you would eliminate the population. So this worked very, very well, and they started in Florida, rearing the flies on whale meat, worked their way oh across on whale the meat? <laughs> on whale, whale meat? meat. Well, I mean, if you're going to raise billions of screwworm flies, they have to eat something. The program has since graduated to more sophisticated <laughs> now diets. It's, now it's gorilla meat. They were eight, they, no, 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 it's not gorilla meat. <laughs> Uh, so they worked their way across the United States, successively eliminating populations of screwworm and completely eliminated this pest from all of North America and Central America. And even now, there's a, a barrier of sterile males constantly released in eastern Panama that prevents this species from coming back up from South America. So in the nuclear age, we nuked insects to fight them. And now in the genome age, we splice them. Thank you, Dan. Okay, you're very welcome. Dan Strickman is a senior program officer for Vector Control at the Gates Foundation, which is funding trials of transgenic insects to fight diseases. So the concept of using sterile male insects to combat other insects works, uh, but who is going to make it work now in its genomic form and why? Well, Gwen here, who reported on these mosquitoes for quartz, introduced us to Michael Doyle, who is one of the guys hoping to use these mosquitoes. Gwen, you want to tell us who he is exactly? Sure. So he is the head of the Florida Keys Mosquito Control District, which means that he's in charge of figuring out how to zap all the mosquitoes in the whole Florida Keys. Welcome to the show, Michael. So we know male sterilization has been around for a while, but why don't you just irradiate the mosquitoes like they did for screwworms or use chemicals or something? Because neither of those worked well with mosquitoes because the males are uh, wimpy, for no other, other <laughs> better term. You couldn't sterilize them without making them so weak that they weren't competitive with the males they were trying to comp compete with for uh, the affections of, of the females. Is it like mosquito hell down there? What's it like? Fortunately, it would be if we weren't doing mosquito control, and um, and so now it's not so bad. There's still billions and billions of mosquitoes that can hatch, but most of them we kill in the water with a with a bacteria, and ninety percent or more are, 
are killed that way. So the mosquitoes aren't so bad once we get them. Okay, but I don't get it. If you're already killing 90% of the mosquitoes, why are you worried about dengue fever? Yes, it's, it's a different story with that. There's 45 species of mosquitoes in the Keys, but there's two main players. Um, one is the salt marsh mosquito, which is a native to the Keys. It grows by the billions in salt marshes and in low-lying areas. And then the other species of concern is quite different. It's this Aedes aegypti mosquito, which came in a few centuries ago with the slave trade. And that species, the control of those is quite different. It's very stealthy, but it's more likely to come up, bite you without you barely noticing, and skitter off and perhaps leave something uh, unwelcome uh, in your blood. Right. So let me just add, there's a big difference between the salt marsh mosquitoes and the mosquito that carries dengue fever. The salt marsh mosquitoes are really easy to kill, and those are the ones that they're killing 90% of already. And those are in the salt marsh. They live in the salt marshes. Aedes aegypti, the mosquito that carries dengue, does not. It breeds in your dog dish, your, wa- your dog's water dish, in, in flower dog. pot, like the rim that has water in the the lid of a trash can after it's rained. Um, it likes to live in people's houses and around people's houses. And that makes it really, really hard to kill because, you know, you can't take a bunch of poison and go spray people's houses. So there's not been a good way to kill these guys up until now. The thing with the genetically modified mosquito is you're basically using, and this is what's really genius, you're basically using a mosquito to find the wild mosquitoes in a way that poison just can't. The last question I wanted to ask you is just you're waiting for the FDA to give approval. Do you think you'll get it soon? And what kind of urgency is there for you to do this? We don't know when we'll get it. We're hoping that they publish an environmental assessment. When that will happen, we don't know. We're hoping in the next few months because the season is beginning. And with every passing month, there's more concern that we'll get um, you know, another outbreak here. So the sooner that we get precautionary measures and mosquito reductions in place, the, the happier that I'll be. Michael Doyle is the director of the Florida Keys Mosquito Control District. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We spoke to Mike in May of this year, and as of July, the FDA has yet to approve the trial. So we've talked to a mosquito control scientist. We've talked to a guy who wants to use his mosquitoes on the ground. Uh, but we have not talked to the people who actually sell these mosquitoes. And that company actually has already done trials in Brazil and the Cayman Islands. So we are going to talk to Hayden Perry. He is the CEO of Oxitech, the company that makes these mosquitoes. He's in Oxford. Is that right, Hayden? That's exactly right. So, Hayden, is it better, first of all, to just sterilize a bunch of males and let them fly off and have feckless sex? Or is it better to just reprogram the mosquitoes so that they can't carry the pathogen to begin with? It's all about being in control of what you do. There are academics and groups who, like you say, have a view that says, well, actually, if we could find some way of making the mosquito itself resist the pathogen uh, or make it immune to the virus... And then we could introduce those mosquitoes. We could then spread that through the entire population. So the issue there comes back to control. What happens if things go wrong? What's your product recall? Can you actually bring these mosquitoes back if something didn't go quite the way you thought? Now, with ours, the reason we went for the sterilisation type of approach is because it's quite neat, really. Every mosquito you send out there is going to die. 
their offspring are going to die. So if things didn't quite work out the way you think, you just stop releasing and they die. There's nothing that stays in the environment. How are the mosquitoes delivered? Do you have like giant fans that spray a swarm of mosquitoes into the air or do you just dump buckets of eggs into a marsh or... I mean, I like the cloud of locusts approach. <laughs> Imagine you're standing on a street corner. You see a little van go past. There'll be a guy in the back of the van. The window is half open. There's a little tube that comes out. And he's basically putting about a thousand mosquitoes out at a time. Hayden, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Hayden Perry is the CEO of Oxitech. Gwen, we're really glad you came back from Florida with this story instead of with dengue fever. How has this changed your relationship with mosquitoes? Wow. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I'm asking not really because I care about your relationship (laughs) with mosquitoes, though I do. It's because I know Sabri has some fraught emotional history on the mosquito front. Well, when I was eight years old, I had a pet mosquito larva. I kept him in a little jar. Where did you get it? What does a larva look like for a mosquito? Could you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The larvae are like these little wriggly worms. So they eat in this stage, like these weird little worms. worms? They look like little worms. This is arguably an adorable pet. (laughs) Can you make that argument? Well, they were adorable to me. But yeah, they look like little little worms that, that hang on the surface of the water, hang down into the water, and they wriggle around. And then every time you move, they just wriggle down to the bottom of the water, and then they slowly drift back up. And I named mine Charlie. And... One day, he rose to the surface, and he burst out of his little shell and became a mosquito. And I opened the lid to basically get a better look at him. Um, (laughs) But then he – well, I was eight, okay? So anyway, he flew out. And he was flying around the room, and I was like, Charlie, get back in the jar. And Charlie did not. And I said, Charlie, you need to get back in the jar, Charlie. Charlie, if you don't get back in this jar, I'm going to have to kill you. And then I had to kill Charlie. This, this is also the intro to our other podcast, Serial Killers as Children. <laughs> <laughs> now, just as I had the unintended consequence of releasing my pet into the wild and then being forced to kill it, people are also worried about unintended consequences with this genetically modified mosquito situation. Really quickly, I'll just give you a rundown of what of some of the things that come up I'll when you talk about genetically modified mosquitoes. And it, they do really freak people out. One of the big worries is that... Number one. The genetically modified mosquitoes will bite you and transmit genetically modified DNA into your human body. Can that happen? No. Okay. What's the next Number thing? two. There's another concern that the mosquito is possibly an important food source for fish and frogs and things like that, and that knocking it out would throw the entire ecosystem out of whack. But doesn't this mosquito only live in, like, dog bowls and stuff? (laughs) Yep. It doesn't really have any predators, except us. Okay. Number three? So this is a more abstract concern, but it's that we don't know how drastically changing the size and structure of the mosquito population might change the way the virus is transmitted and the virus itself potentially. And we don't have any good way of monitoring that. Hmm. 
So that somehow playing with the mosquitoes would change the way the virus is transmitted? Because when you kill a bunch of mosquitoes, you are reducing the population to a very small number of mosquitoes. So if there is a mutation or if they're better at transmitting the virus, it is much, 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 much more likely that they are going to pass that on to the next generation. Oxytech is very, very careful about saying what they're offering with their services. And it's not, we will reduce your dengue problem. It's, we will reduce your mosquito problem. Because we just don't know what the impact of changing that population structure so dramatically could be on the mosquito or on the virus. Well, okay, here's a fourth concern. Is it possible that the modified genes from a mosquito could be transferred to other mosquitoes in the wild, not because they're reproducing, but because, say, a, a virus you know, sucks up some of its DNA and then squirts it out into another mosquito. That's how a lot of genes are transferred sometimes. In all of my reporting, I've never come across that. I suppose it's in theory possible. But the thing about this gene is even if you do pass it on into the wild population, what does it do? It kills your offspring. So, you know, it's the net effect is probably, I mean, minimal. And that mirrors what Dan said when I asked him about it. Is there any way, you know, some virus in the wild could go snip around and accidentally transfer some change from transgenic mosquito to, you know, a regular mosquito? No. Mm. <laughs> I mean, short answer is no. So maybe we can just leave this conversation with the following from Anthony James. He's a scientist at UC Irvine who really pioneered some of these methods. He is really pragmatic about the whole thing. I don't, I don't see it as a conflict, to be honest. Our contribution is, is to develop the technologies, but then to actually just give them away in the context that of, for example, if we have a country that has a problem with dengue, and uh, I guess it's fair to say at, at this stage, we don't actually have really good tools that, that work for dengue, period. If you have a dengue outbreak, it's pretty much hold your breath and hope it doesn't get bad. So what we would like to say is, look, we, we have something that we think works. If you're interested in using it, you can make them in, in your place. And it's your decision if you want to go ahead and use them. Thanks, Gwent, for bringing us a story. Thanks for having me, y'all. Come back sometime, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, and now for something completely Lee different. At Quartz, we have something called Surprising Discoveries. We report the news that makes you raise your eyebrows. Uh, this week's Surprising Discovery, two corporations, one Japanese, one American, will have uh, giant robots fight. It's an international battle bots competition. It's quite big. It's inspired by the Women's World Cup. I want to see these fighting robots. Yeah, you should go to Quartz. Uh, our guy Mike Murphy has done a couple stories, and there's also some YouTube videos of these robots that I would say are about as tall as two fully grown men, and they have, like, rocket launchers full of paintballs, uh, and the American company, which is called Megabots, challenged uh, Suidobashi Heavy Industries, uh, and they're going to battle, uh, pa apparently. Paintballs? Uh, do they explode in fire? I don't think so, although I know that one of the concerns with the battle is they're still working out how they're going to do it without killing themselves or others. Well, that just seems secondary to me. I think that they need, like, come on. I'm not, I'm upset by this. Oh, you're upset that it's not going to be more explosive and deadly or yeah. upset by the... Like, how many movies have there been where giant robots, like, tore down 
Tokyo or had slicing machines or... Those movies are fictional. I know. But we have to live up to these. <laughs> we have to live up to standards <laughs> and precedent. All right. Come to think of it, why don't we have killer robots that just fly around killing mosquitoes? We have a, I can we have think a, of so many could, reasons. We have a door-to-door so many reasons robot. why that would work. A robot that would come by and be like, welcome, Resident 5. I am here to spray your house. I, I can think of why that would probably not work. Well, anyway, fine. So I still, I, whatever, I'm on the record for the killer robots. That's all the time we have today. But if you want to know more about genetic engineering... Traumatic childhood pets... Uh, or anything else happening in the economy today, check out Marketplace.org and QZ.com. And while you're at court, sign up for our daily brief. It is the perfect way to start the day. And by the way, we would love to know what you think of this podcast, what you like, what you did not like, um, what topics we should take on. Email us at mpqz at Marketplace.org or leave a message with us at 802-430-6779. That's 802-430-6779. Call now. Uh, also, you can holler at us on Twitter. That's uh, I am at Sabri Tree, and Tim is at Tim Fernholtz with a Z. Our theme song is made by Jake Gorski. Thank you, Jake. Thank you to our producer, Claire Tennisketter, and to our overlords at Marketplace and Quartz. You've been listening to Actuality, the Marketplace Quartz podcast. We'll be back soon with more stories from around the world. See you then.